Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Warwick Castle and the legend of Guy of Warwick! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor, where we are currently uh, not reviewing anything. No. We've uh, finished this Scottish series. Yeah. So what we thought we'd do, um, mid-series, as we are at the moment, um, we report back on a very fun thing that I got to do a little bit early in the summer, which was going to Warwick Castle. Now, normally, I would be up front and centre in the passenger seat, Leaning forward in my seatbelt going, come on, come on, come on, come on, oh, take that light. <laughs> to go to a castle. Head out of the window. <laughs> yeah, like a dog. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, with a bone. But um, I wasn't there, Graham. Uh, I was mm. so disappointed. Yeah, now, obviously, we can, you know, we can go to castles in our own spare time mm. whenever we like. But this was uh, an official Rex Factor business because we yeah. were invited uh, with a press pass oh. to go and see all of the fun stuff that they've got at Warwick Castle. And we actually got... We? I actually got to uh, stay at Warwick Castle, oh. stay the night, get two days of castle fun, get to experience the whole lot. This is so painful hearing it back. I don't know why we're doing this episode, actually, because it's just going to be pain for me hearing <laughs> this but go on so what we thought we'd do is uh, i would uh, let you and indeed let ali know what mm. i get up to we've also got a couple of interviews that we'll be doing uh, in this podcast one with kate davidson who uh, scripted uh, a very special wars of the roses live jousting mm. experience and i've just remembered because uh, we've done that already that i forgot to say to her and thank her that she is the reason that we got invited to ah. Warwick on Press Pass because of her involvement and she being a Rex Factor listener she said you should really get these guys on the list oh really yeah oh I would have definitely said mega thanks <laughs> even letting <laughs> it go yeah. Um. yeah so anyway and uh, we've also got Melissa the head historian at Warwick Castle Oh, and she'll be talking to us about their big summer feature which I've not yet seen because it hasn't started yet the uh, legend of Guy of Warwick okay Right, nice. Hmm. So what? So what was the what was the event? What was it called? What happened? Well, there was lots of stuff. So initially, there was uh, a launch event in London, which you were also ill for. Oh, you <laughs> haven't had this yet. The as soon as the, your um, chat starts mixing with other mini chaps, hmm. oh, the disease! <laughs> oh, it's like a house of plague. Horrible. Yeah, but I think, yeah, that was so unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, so it was a launch event in London. With mm. a, it was an introductory talk by TV historian Dan Jones. Did he get his tats out? He did. Yeah. He did. Um, might get to play a bit of uh, his intro maybe when we uh, do the Guy of Warwick bit later in the podcast. Mm. See if I can get some of the audio for that. Mm. Um, yeah, and then we actually got invited to come up and stay in the summer. So the way it was going to work was that only one of us was going to get to stay actually at the castle so it's very nice he got invited along with family so we were you know all going to mm. come along our partners and our little ones um but so one was going to get to stay at the castle the other one was going to have to stay at a hotel so he could still come for the day but not stay overnight so ali and brood were going to stay actually there at warwick and i was just going to be going off to a hotel uh and the reason being that with a much much younger baby newborn would have been 
tricky, sort of, because we weren't quite sure at the time what the facilities yeah, would be like. Yeah, whether it would be actually more like camping, because there was a talk talk of sort of glamping, which yeah. is a broad hmm. spectrum. Uh, so I graciously said, I think you're absolutely right, Graham. <laughs> I will take the glamping option inside the medieval castle walls. Hmm. Um, oh, Graham. I'm so disappointed. You were getting better. I was getting better, but I, the trouble was, on the Tuesday, I'd, uh, I'd said to you, do you want to come and see Tim Key with me, a, a British comedian, have a spare ticket for mm. Colchester, just up the road? Um, which was a mistake. I had to leave. I, was, <laughs> I, I thought, I'm getting better. I'm definitely going to go to, these, get the, to this Tim Key gig. So I've had tickets for this, and I love him. Yeah, so that, that knocked me for six. So I was getting better and then just took to the bed again. Oh, it was hopeless. I mean, I would have taken... If I was any better, I would have taken to the medieval four-poster bed in Warwick. <laughs> but just wasn't to be. So instead, I uh, had to uh, suck it up and stay at the wonderful, beautiful castle mm. for the weekend. Mm. And it was an absolutely beautiful weekend. The weather was just gorgeous. Yeah. The photos were cloudless. Cloudless, very sunny very blue mm. it was actually the weekend of uh the royal wedding yeah so uh so technically i i did have to miss the uh the wedding but you sort of saw sacrifice. another but i saw another as we see with the mm. wars of the roses um yeah so that was when it was very very beautiful weekend very very sunny um for anyone who doesn't know where warwick is it's sort of kind of in the middle of it it's in the west midlands isn't it if yeah. you if you get a map of england just put your finger in the middle you probably hit Warwick or Birmingham. And it's a very lovely place uh, of England to go and visit if you're a history buff because you've got Warwick Castle, which has mm. got an awful lot to offer, as we'll see. You're not too far away from Kenilworth Castle. Oh, best ever. That's the secret, actually. Mm. The Warwick Castle, I think, is... Uh, well, it's very complete. It's never attacked. Mm. Um, and owned by Madame Sword. So it's big brown signposts off the motorway, whereas Kenilworth, just down the road... Sight of Elizabeth the First romance with Dudley, perhaps. <laughs> Gorgeous, absolutely amazing castle. Better, better defensively. Until uh, until, until it got blown up. Yeah, until the Barons' <laughs> War and then the Civil War. If you're going to attack them now, then uh, Warwick probably hold out. Yeah, in the zombie wars, you want Warwick. Yeah, in the zombie wars, actually, this is a bit of an aside. <laughs> you want uh, not, but Leeds would work or Bodium, both like properly still wet mooted. Yeah, because yeah. zombies can't do water. No. Yeah. Leeds, actually, because you've got flushing toilets and things on that one. The uh, Bodium's a bit of a shell. Sorry, Warwick. Yeah, New Warwick. And also, uh, it's also literally just up the road from Stratford-upon-Avon, which is a yeah. pretty historical town, of course, home of Shakespeare and uh, mm. theatre there and all sorts of stuff. So, lovely place to go and visit. Anyway, so up I went to Warwick Castle mm. in uh, beautiful, beautiful sunshine. So, I thought to help take us, uh, take us through what it's like, I just made a little... Uh, oh! No way! A little slideshow for us. Graham's got a slideshow, and it says you've got to put this out there. <laughs> it's it's entitled Graham's tick, tri trip to Warwick, a podcast tale, and it's, he's got a photo here. You're looking at the, you're looking at the, what would that be? Down towards the main gatehouse, isn't it? With the two big towers. Yeah, so I've just come in. Um, from one bit so it's so basically the it's a huge area warwick castle because um some castles you'll go to and it's just you know a ruin of a keep mm. somewhere in a field but warwick is a huge huge area there's quite a lot of parkland um that's part of the grounds yeah 
and then you actually go into this sort of all walled round area and then you've got this sort of palacey castly bit in the middle you've got turrets and battlements going all around but, and also the, you can it's got the uh the old they've sort of built off the old Motton bailey at the other end of mm. there's it's um so that the the walls go up the old mot and there's a tower on top of that but actually the castle then developed further off into mm. the old sort of um uh, what's it called? The Bailey part of it. Yeah. Yeah, so we're just looking at lots of uh, people enjoying the sunshine on the field. It looks horrible. It looks disgusting, <laughs> Graham. So uh, the first thing that was uh, of interest, the first thing I had to do, because it was one of those where, uh, as you'll know, when you have a have a baby <laughs> and you're travelling somewhere in car to and you're trying to get... Well, uh, not that so much, just the sheer effort of actually getting to somewhere yeah. at a certain time, yeah. <laughs> particularly when it's a, a couple of hours drive away. So we just about did manage to get there on time, but we had to... Now, did we have time for lunch? Mm, no, we don't think we did have time for lunch. I think we just got to check in at mm. uh, the accommodation, which we'll look at a bit later, and then we went straight off to go and see Wars of the Roses live. It's basically, it's um, the Wars of the Roses told through the medium of jousting so to learn more about the uh, walls of the roses live and the jousting we're very pleased to have uh, a bit uh, unique for us in the podcast an interview oh. uh, with kate davidson who uh, scripted it so uh, let's have a listen to that kate hello hello welcome to rex factor <laughs> thank you it's nice to um i mean i'm not physically here but it's nice to um be talking to you where, so where are you at the moment then are you in warwick no, I'm in Edinburgh. Oh, lovely. Um, I am one of your Scottish listeners, so um, I'm up here looking out over the rooftops and a lot of seagulls. Can you see the castle? Um, I cannot see oh, the castle. Shame. It would be nice if that was my view. Crucial question, have you voted in the uh, grand final playoff yet? I have voted. Am I allowed to share my vote with you, or should it be secret? I, I think probably, because um, we're doing another interview with someone from Warwick, and we're not able to do it now until after the vote is closed, so you will not be unduly influencing anybody if you reveal who you voted for. Okay, great. I voted for Robert the Bruce. Um, I was actually quite torn between him and Constantine, but he. Um, I think the Declaration of Our Broth is just such a beautifully written document that he gets a lot of sort of extra points to me for, um, for that. See, Ali's looking slightly disappointed. He was hoping for a more left of field. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I imagine um, Mary might not be top of the list as a Scot. Well, you know, I would have voted for Mary as the person with the most je ne sais quoi. Mm. Um, I think she is just one of my all-time um, girl crushes, and I really, really like her. Mm. But... She did end up so badly, you know, like with James the Fourth. It's difficult to quite reward that level of defeat. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. But I, I, my man crush is James the Fourth. So <laughs> well, it's yeah, I mean, he is quite a nice guy. Yeah. Um. So, and any anyone with that amount of uh, dentistry habits is a <laughs> yeah. He was just fascinating. Brilliant. Um. Brilliant. That's I love that Rex pact. It's right up there with Bluetooth for me. <laughs> Okay, so um, outside of Scottish monarchs, you've been involved in stuff at Warwick Castle, as we were saying. Now, Ali, unfortunately, when we went up for the weekend, was unwell and uh, didn't get to go. So he's not seen Wars of the Roses live. So for Ali and anyone else listening, what is Wars of the Roses live? So it is a 35-minute jousting show. 
that tells the story of the Wars of the Roses through the Museum of Jousting. Um, so you get to choose at the beginning to either be a Yorkist or Lancastrian, and you sit with um, your fellow army and get to cheer along your side and boo the other side and have a lot of fun. Brilliant. I'm so envious. It sounded absolutely amazing. Graham was sending me back uh, pictures uh, with captions like, having a terrible time, the weather's been rubbish, and you can see him beaming and there's a beautiful <laughs> sunny day behind him. It it sounded like it went down really well. What Was, was it uh, celebrating anything at Warwick? Well, um, it doesn't celebrate anything at Warwick, but obviously um, the Earl of Warwick, the Kingmaker, um, was from Warwick, so there's quite a connection to the Wars of the Roses at the castle. Um, and they have just they had just built uh, when it came out last summer a huge new jousting arena, um, so that they can do regular shows. So uh, it was the first show to inaugurate this new arena. So how did it all come about then? How did you sort of get involved? Because not obviously said uh, what what you do and how this all happened from your perspective. Yes, yeah, so I am a writer. Um, I've written uh, some theatre and quite a lot of television. Um, and Warwick Castle um, approached me asking if I'd be interested trying to help them do the script for uh, the show. And so I got brought on board that way. It was quite a difficult script, I would say, to write because the Wars of the Roses is such a long bit of history with so much juicy stuff that happens. And it's quite difficult to condense it down to that length um, and that number of characters and to also do it through jousting. So um, it was definitely a challenge. And I was really happy to be involved with it. Oh, I didn't realise that's what happened. So you sort of, each joust is like a battle during the it's War of the It's a battle, exactly, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I'm even more disappointed I didn't go. <laughs> so we have, you know, hitting quintains and we have jousting and we have a melee. Um, yeah, so it all, it all just goes on through through jousting. So, yeah, so as you say, it's quite a difficult one just to script the Wars of the Roses in half an hour in itself is quite tricky but then to get jousting into that as well so did you have to like have jousting stage directions were you like director saying that what everyone will be doing or do you just give like a general yeah so um i spoke to knights of middle england who do the jousting they're fantastic jousters and um they explained a bit and i read up and obviously learned a lot about jousting I think my earliest scripts, I still wasn't understanding at all. So I used to, at the beginning, I would be writing in, um, you know, someone would say, oh, that's a great hit. But actually, they can't say that because they don't know for sure that they're going to be able to hit. Ah. So um, you end up writing a lot more ad-lib than you would think that you would. Because it, that they might not have full contact. Exactly. You can't ah. tell with the level of stunts that they're doing that they are 100% going to be able to... Um, get you know that one jouster is definitely going to be able to get for example a direct body blow ah mm. oh, so yeah because there's a bit of chance isn't there if, if, yeah yeah um so you mentioned the company of knights that were jousting what were their names again the knights of middle england ah and why were they chosen just because warwick is the yeah they were based local. actually um nearby warwick and they're very good at doing all these stunts i mean if you know the show it's quite amazing. It's like watching a Hollywood film unfold in front of you. The level of the physical stunts that they're doing during the show and doing twice a day is is really amazing. So they've really got a lot of expertise um, in this kind of performance jousting. I went to the um, Battle of Bosworth reenactment 
and met oh, yeah? a, a knight there who said that his armour was cost something... Well, he didn't give an exact figure, but he said a, a, the price of a new small car. I mean, the level of detail that these guys get into is incredible. It must have looked fantastic. And, I mean, accuracy was part of the challenge, I suppose. Yeah, I think because Warwick Castle is, um, you know, a historic visitor attraction, they uh, want everything to be as accurate as, as possibly can. So, for example, the scripts were checked by a historian, um, that we try to make everything as accurate as it can. That be said, being said, we do have Margaret of Anjou jousting. So, um, <laughs> you know, she wouldn't have actually been leading the charges back in the day. But I think it makes it much more exciting as a show. She was she was very fierce, Margaret of Anjou. <laughs> well, in real life, but definitely uh, definitely in jousting mode. Yeah. Want to mess with her? So, when you were putting this all together, would you say that there was any historical sources or references or <clears throat> podcasts that maybe helped? <laughs> yes, I did listen to the Rex Factor podcast. It was actually really useful. Um, because I'm Scottish, I didn't learn the Wars of the Roses when I was younger. And so I knew them, but in a very piecemeal way, you know, where I'd, I love history, but I'd read, you know, one book about this and then another book about that. So being able to go back to the Rex Factor podcast and listen to um, chronologically All the Kings was fantastic. Um, and then I delved into a lot of sources, um, but it almost became a problem in writing the show because the more you fall down the rabbit holes, um, the more difficult it is to make a simple show because you're just so um, enthusiastic about everything. Yeah. So at a certain level, you sort of have to let all that research go and just try and work out what the story is. I mean, I imagine... I'm talking not from any experience here, but Graham has the same problem when sort of deciding on the uh, the the structure of an episode of Rex Factor because we don't want to, uh, you know, to include everything. It's got to be entertaining as well. Must have been incredibly difficult with something as detailed as the War of the Roses. Was there anything that you cut that you'd like to have kept? Any uh, juicy skits of scandal or anything? Well, the bit I always love about the Wars of the Roses that I didn't get to put in was in the Battle of uh, Barnet, where they're fighting in the fog and uh, the Earl of Warwick's forces mistake um, Edward's forces for his own because the banners are quite similar and he ends up attacking his own side and that's how they lose. Yeah, it was asking quite a lot for them to get the entire arena covered yeah. in mist. And <laughs> so you can't really do that. And obviously, if we had that amount of fog, then it would be difficult for the audience to see. But that was the bit. That's one of the, the my favourite battles. Um, so I was really, I couldn't really get that in. But, but I think the problem we had structurally with the play and with condensing this amount of history down to something like that, you know, at first we were doing um, a version that was maybe slightly more fun and jokey and a bit more horrible histories and feel. Um, and we did quite a few drafts like that and it never quite worked, um, partly because um, Horrible Histories was really the wrong feel for the show. Uh, Warwick Castle already has two Horrible Histories shows that are really good and you know fantastic at what they do in their own right. And we didn't really need another one of those very fast-paced, funny things because it didn't really go with the weight and the severity of jousting in those big, battly action moments. So we needed to find something that was a bit more heroic. So getting that tone right was um, quite difficult. And then the second challenge is that our first um, drafts of the script, nobody really responded to that well because you're asking them to engage at the beginning with characters uh, you know, Richard of York and Edward, who then die midway through Wars of the Roses. 
and then you have to invest in new characters to take you through to the end. So did you have to sort of make Richard, like Richard III and Henry Tudor had to be part of the story earlier? Exactly. So we had to bring it back and tell the beginning of the story from Henry Tudor and Elizabeth of York's point of view as if they were being told things by their 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 parents and the older generation so that you could be invested in them at the beginning and then that emotionally carries you through to the end of the show um so would you have liked to sort of take this further in a way like doing a bit of historical writing do you like the idea of wars of the roses as a something to write about in future oh i love historical writing um i've written various historical things for for tv before that haven't um quite made it to screen uh, but I really, really enjoy historical writing. Um, so I think I can say, but not in any great detail, that I've been working on a Mary Queen of Scots project. Um, yeah, so that's uh, quite <laughs> <laughs> that's quite apt for the podcast. And um, I, so I've been working on that for about eighteen months now. Is that it, it, her entire life, or um... no, no, okay. it's um, it's a very, very sm- small bit of her life. I was going to say, so that's we're going to kind of, we're going kind of deep on one bit rather than mm. doing the broad historical sweep. Wow, excellent! And um, so, one thing I was watch, uh, wondering when watching it was um, whether you sort of had to be very careful about being balanced between the two sides, because, like you say, you choose whether you're Lancaster, whether you're York. How did you sort of s- strike that balance? Yeah, so in the early part of the Wars of the Roses, we're really choosing which battles we want to show. Um, so that both sides of the audience have an equal amount of feeling of victory, um, which isn't actually that hard because there are so many battles uh, that different sides won and lost. So we're trying to get that kind of e- equal balance. And then when Rich the Third comes in, I think he's so horrific that you know both sides of the audience can begin to pull against him. Did and the uh, the characters then? I presume that was very important to that process, getting the right uh, cast for each character was uh, w- how did that turn out was there a clear from the start you thought that man is definitely richard the third never say it to his face but was it were they were you pleased with how that turned out yeah so i'm not in charge of casting because that's um uh knights of middle england ah. uh the director's job but i was really happy when i saw the show yeah. i think uh the actresses there's more there's more than one cast um, because it's such a physical thing that you have to have backups in case of mm. injury and people do have to take some breaks over the summer. Mm. Um, but certainly seeing it, I've been really happy. Um, you know, it's quite nice that Richard III isn't, he doesn't come out as a pantomime villain. Yeah, there's always that. And, and it's almost like you don't realise until a certain point of the script, oh my God, that's actually Richard III, you know? Mm. So it's quite nice because um, the actor who portrayed him at least... Um, the times I've seen it has been quite a kind of cuddly, uncle kind of figure. Mm. And that's brought something really nice to it. Um, I think the female jousters who played Margaret of Anjou were just terrific. Um, you know, all the cast, they, they just, the level of stunts they do, and it's quite a rare thing to be able to do that amount of um, really heavy, hard, difficult stunts mm. and also be able to carry the acting in the show. Yeah. The Margaret of Anjou character, was she um, in armor or was she dressed as margaret of anjou would have been she is in armor she's in red armor ah brilliant okay so um don't no spoilers but who wins <laughs> <laughs> where did you sit when you went to go and see it were you with house lancaster or house of york i have seen it um from both sides 
very convenient. So the first it? time I first? saw it, I took, uh, I think I took the Lancastrian side um, because I'm such a fan of Margaret. And the second time I saw it, I took the Yorkist side. Does that reveal your uh, true leanings? Are you a Lancastrian? <laughs> well, I think I'm lucky in that being Scottish, I don't really oh, have a horse good, in that race. Good answer. <laughs> So if you were to get a call from Edinburgh Castle and they were going to say they were going to put on some jousting, is there anything from Scottish history you think you particularly like to write and turn to the form? Um, well, it's very difficult at the moment because it all becomes quite political. If you know, Some of the best battles are probably in the Wars of the Independence. Mm. You know, but I'm not quite sure Edinburgh Castle are going to want me to uh, <laughs> restage the Wars of the Independence. The Wars of Independence. <laughs> Love to, see Rob, love to see Rob the Bruce on his uh, horse though when uh, the English knight takes him on and oh. he just jumps up. Oh right. yeah, that would be fantastic. With Mind battle you, axe, that would look great. I'm, I'm such a fan of Braveheart, I think they've got that all sewn up. There's, <laughs> there's no need for any more. Well, we've got a Bruce film coming out. Oh yes, you told me about this, Graham. Who's um, with the chap from Game of Thrones as... Uh, is it, I want Edward. to say Richard Madden, is it? No, so it's um, Ali's thinking, because obviously with Ali, when he's thinking of casting, he immediately thinks who's going to play Edward the first rather than Robert the Bruce. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, um, is it Chris Pine that's playing Robert the Bruce? Oh, it's yes, you're right, it is Chris Pine, yeah. yeah. Who's Chris Pine? Which actor is he? He's modern, modern Captain Kirk. Oh, yes, you told me that as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, dear. I'm sure it'll be fine. They'll rough him up a bit. He need, he, he need, they need a bit of a... Uh, Bit be a bit more shabby around the edges, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as long as he can do the accent. Yeah, that's true. That's tricky. And we've got American Queen of Scots film coming out as well. Yes, with Sir Sir Ronan. So that'll be. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. I think it'll be great. Michael Hurst is a fantastic writer. But that's not the secret project with Mary that you're working on. <laughs> that is not the secret project I'm working on. Though. <laughs> Uh, okay, so that's um, that's been really interesting. Thank you so much. And um, say, I really, really enjoyed it when I went to see it. It was really fun. And um, like you said, it's there's sort of all the spectacular with sort of the sp- there's a bit of smoke actually. I said they can't do the mist. They did do some smoke when the people come in, and then the jousting's exciting. There's quite a bit of sword play, and they're jumping around. Um, yeah, so it's a really, really fun thing to go and do. And Ali's definitely now <laughs> itching at the bit to go and see it. Well, it's one of the lovely things about it. You spend a lot of time, um, if you're writing performance, with people telling you what can't be done. You know, so your first draft has all these big action sequences, and then the budgets come in, and then, you know, one by one things are cut. But when you work with Warwick Castle and, and a bunch of professional jousters, you know, you sit down and you said, say something like, a messenger arrives, and they say, oh, could it be an eagle that brings the message? And then wow. you say, and, and then here they'll fight with their swords, and they'll say, can the swords go on fire? Wow. Um, so it just becomes much more, um, you know, everyone's so excited by the stunts and the action that it's actually really exciting as a writer to to put things together for that. Yeah. Well, Graham came back full of praise for it. So I am looking for any excuse to go to a castle. That seems like a very, very good one. So I'm definitely going to go and see it in the summer. Thanks oh, very much for talking to us. Thank you for um, letting me talk to you. Other than on a special episode, this is the first normal podcast interview that we have actually done i feel very special yeah actually it's only there's only one other person who's ever been with us yeah the fourth person on rex factor that is very exciting for me (laughs) (laughs) she was nice 
Imagine having that idea. You you turn up to Warwick <laughs> Castle, sort of, I don't know, Wednesday morning media meeting. I've got an idea, lads. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it, 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 fair play to Warwick for seeing that through because that could have been shot down quite early, couldn't mm. it, as an idea? That's brilliant. Yeah, so it was a, it was a really really fun thing to go. So I'm now showing Ali the uh, some of the photos from it. Um, as you can see, it's just actually it's technically on a little island. Oh yeah. So you go over this very sort of picturesque uh, little bridge. Where's that in relation to the castle? Because that's the new jousting. Oh, there's the castle just in the background. And then you can see the castle. So it's, yeah, oh, it's very close. It's not very far. Perfect. Mm. So it said you had to go over to this little island, go over the bridge, mm. see nice. everyone just having their picnics, oh, watching it on the other magic. side. Ah. Yeah, so then you go along and then you get this sort of big thing saying take a side. So you've got House of Lancaster yeah. on the right, York on the left, mm. and you decide which one you're going to go and sit in. Ah, oh, brilliant. Who are you going to support? And do the horses run from the other end of that? So the horses, you can uh, see in this one on the bottom right, there's an entrance with all the sort of smoke goes up and they come charging in down there. Mm. And then they go up and down the uh, sanded oh, right. jousting track. And then you can also see that the walls of where they come in, it's currently showing House of York, so they switch depending on who's in the ascendancy at that time. Ah. So that's a way that you visually get what's, who's what's winning, going on, who's yeah. losing. That's brilliant. That's brilliant, because that could be quite confusing, isn't it? If uh, you're there as a regular punter and you're just sort of seeing horses smashed together, because there's a story going on behind all this, isn't mm. it? It's the narrative. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so the, they're doing the jousting, obviously, on the horses, but the people... Uh, who are playing the like people like Richard III, Henry VII, who aren't jousting, but they do some sword play, and they also have to like dive and roll to get out of the way of the horses as well. Oh wow! Little, little, uh, so the horses are trained, and they're sort of acting. Yeah, I, yeah, I like to feel like they're yeah. embodying, they're channeling. <laughs> yeah, they sort of. I imagine them in the green room afterwards going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we did that. That was really, really fun. And then actually got to go back to uh, properly see where we were staying, put our bags in, and to have a spot of lunch. Lovely. So this is what you really missed out on, of course, staying in the oh, Woodland Lodge. Oh, look at that. What we're looking at here, that's a, that's a proper... Well, it's a Woodland Lodge, isn't it? Yeah, it's just this lovely green area. We've got all these lodges, which are the, sort of the more permanent homes. There are also uh, glamping tents, which we've got so a little photo of later. Is the idea now that Warwick are going to rent these out? Yeah, so obviously we got to stay for free, but anybody can go and stay so I'm gonna, for the weekend. I'm clearly going to do this, so I'm going <laughs> to put the hand in the pocket and do this one. Yeah, so you can. anyone can do it. This is not okay. just uh, because we're oppressed. Anyone can go along. You can stay overnight in either a woodland lodge or in one of the glamping tents. Mm. And that means that you're kind of immediately on site, so you've kind of skipped the ticket bit. Right. So okay. you can just go into the castle, you can come back to the lodge at any time you want, you come back for meals, uh, oh, lunch, good. dinners, breakfast. Because it's a big site. Very big site, yeah. So we didn't do it. We didn't really actually finish it all, even in two days. Mm. It's really, really big, Warwick. So yeah, it's a really worth doing if you want to make a weekend of it. Or if you're coming over from America or Canada or something and you want to you know, have yeah. a time in the UK, then you've got, as I said, Kenilworth and... Stratford to visit as well so if you're staying there for that's a few a days that's good I can see why they've done it now um, I would definitely do it so it's like Centre Parks Little Lodge but it's, but his, it's the History Centre Park <laughs> yeah oh man I am doing this 
So uh, here's a few uh, few photos. Oh, look at your super casual photo of freebies you were given. So uh, we assume that these are all freebies. So in the room, <laughs> bottle of red wine, a couple Lovely. of glasses, and which I've got here, a ladybird Warwick the Kingmaker book. Ooh, which I'm just handing to Ali that's now. That's very nice. So uh, anyone who uh, certainly British remembers Lady Bird, Lady yeah. Bird history books. So the same style of um, uh, illustration as well. That's brilliant. Oh, I loved these mm. books. In fact, my um, my the sum total of my uh, uh, research for the latest series was uh-huh. uh, a Ladybird book on kings and queens of Scotland. You've got somewhere actually. Ooh. Oh, I think I've got an English one. Oh, was it? Well, that's where oh, I went yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, not many of these guys <laughs> coming up. <laughs> oh, this is brilliant. Well, let's hope that was a freebie. <laughs> yeah, I certainly took it home, as well as. Uh, Aha, so our third cuddly toy. Yeah. We've got, from the first series, Henry VIII. Second series, we've got Robert the Bruce. And then we've got um, my... Off, uh, well, my brutal reminder of missed opportunity, I think we'll call this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Warwick the Castle Bear. Mm. He's lovely. He's quite he a is nice, nice bear. He is nice. Look at him. There he is. So this is the room. So oh. the, the bear was in the uh, the travel cot. So we because we weren't sure what it was going to be like for staying with baby. Yeah. Basically, it's like um, a nice little hotel room, but with the appearance of all the medieval. So there was a travel cot in there that was all very nice and lovely. Looking at the bed where we've got shield and sword above it. Oh. LED uh, candles. Oh. And we see that sort of nice wooden back to the bed. They've even got stuff. Um, hanging up for like for um if you were going out with your bird of prey <laughs> so like the glove the little satchel the whistle what we're looking at here is what in modern houses would be a coat rack <laughs> but it has actually there's some archery equipment there as well yeah, it looks yeah. like sort of it's all leather goods gear is all um are they freebies i didn't take those home but you could take them off so <laughs> really <laughs> maybe Oh wow! I think I yeah. Th- that's a lot better than nicking the um the towels. The towels, yeah. Yeah. So we had a nice uh, double bed, and then there was also the travel cot. But if you had younger kids, there was a bunk bed in another room as well. Brilliant. I mean, this isn't meant to be a sales pitch, <laughs> but you are selling this well to me. I'm <laughs> I am there. I thought I'd missed out on all of this, and then in that chat with that interview we just did, it turns out I can go back and see the jousting. Yeah. That that's permanent. I thought this was going to be a one-off. So the Avenue of Kings, which is the glamping tents, and again they've got the sort of four-poster beds. They also had nice little seats outside where you could have your wine and whatnot. Um, but they also have got like you know USB ports and no things. Way. So it's all properly decked out. Yeah. So they've got all these. You know, it's all wires underneath it. But I think the Avenue of Kings, I think, is for the summer. But the Woodland Lodges are yeah all year round. All year so round. there's food here, which is making me very very hungry. Yes. Yeah, so um, there's a place where you go for your meals, which again is all sort of set up to look like a bit of medieval hall. So we've got the banners, we've got like swords and axes again on the walls. And yeah, so there's a lovely menu, nice, uh, nice lot of food, and there was either a sort of a vegetable roasty thing, or now I'm trying to remember what this was. There was sort of some pork, lamb shanks, some yeah. ham, yeah. Oh, oh my god, I'm actually salivating. Bit of a Yorkshire pudding in there, but yeah, it just came in this lovely big bowl, a knife, like a trencher. <laughs> but there's a lot of other stuff at the castle, other than just the Wars of the Roses mm. stuff. So some of the other things are oh, a trebuchet. I believe it might be the world's biggest trebuchet 
I mean, this couldn't get any. I thought it couldn't get any worse. So where I was when I was showing you the people looking over the uh, over the river onto the island, looking mm. at the Wars of the Roses jousting arena, you also there's a live show where they talk you through how the trebuchet works, and they've got a whole team that come together and they actually. That's fire not it. a counterweight one, is it? That's um, what's going on there. What are those wheels? Did they fire it? They did fire it again. Babiness meant that I only just got there in time just to, <laughs> to see them firing it. So I didn't get the whole history, unfortunately, oh, right. of okay. uh, how it all works. But I imagine that they would talk you through that in... Uh, I'm going to get a picture of that. Hang on. In some detail. Where do they fire it? Into the river? Uh, I think, again, I didn't... I tried to get this on the camera. couldn't oh. quite see it. I assume there's a, like, a long fieldy bit here. And I assume they do it there. Yeah, because you don't want to bonk a passing canoeist on the noggin. No. <laughs> Apparently they used to do um, fiery ones mm. uh, but I think that didn't quite manage to survive mm. the health and safety I think probably just the fact they could just be setting their grounds on fire yeah if nothing else yeah that is a shame but wowzers look at that lovely then what have we got here why have we got an American Eagle uh, because they also have lots of birds of prey uh, oh. on display so I got a picture of the American Eagle there but there's also um, some sea eagles some owls yeah. other thing bobs they have birds of prey shows am i that i called that an american eagle just because it looks like the classic yeah no it is yeah oh, right. it is okay. the it like is the classic golden eagle is it or bald eagle what? i don't know it doesn't matter I'm but it's bald eagle big bald big eagle. mean looking yeah. raptor and then we've also just got a uh just a knight on his horse cash walking along because that's the kind of thing i guess you get to see yeah because they've got all the jousting stuff going on lots of events going on so you are more likely to see knights in armour walking around. Yeah, look at that. It's quite Even the horse thing. is armoured. And there was actually, and there was an actual, actual wedding at Warwick that weekend. So there's three weddings. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's the royal wedding. Yeah. The pretend royal wedding. Yeah. And a wedding. Yeah. Hmm. And the actual wedding, um, they came out of some area where they were having, I don't know if it was the drinks reception or oh, ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> putting to bed <laughs> but there was a knight on horseback leading the wedding party oh wow to the next that's cool it's very cool oh we couldn't couldn't escape him can we so inside uh, the castle inside a uh, slightly more modern palace bit I say modern in the sense of you know <laughs> 300 years ago. Yeah, 1700. <laughs> yeah. Um, they've got quite a few sort of Madame Tussaudy waxworks, waxworks, waxwork models, including... There he is. Henry VIII yep. and his six wives. Oh, yeah, you've got one of them in there. Who's that? Uh, so that would be Jane Seymour. So it went Catherine and Jane. Are the... Um, does Boleyn and... I uh, can't remember the other one. Catherine... Uh, no, Boleyn um, and... Um, Anne Boleyn. <laughs> No, who's the other one that is headless now? Catherine Howard. Catherine Howard. Uh, did they have heads? They did have heads. That's a shame. It was taken, I guess, from a snapshot moment of their life, which was when they had their heads attached. Which is the majority of it. Yeah. There's a fleeting, maybe, <laughs> second. Uh, but that's the bit I'm interested in, to be honest. I would have liked to have seen Head in a Jar, so you can get really close and see it. Gruesome, suitably taking us on to our next one, which is a whole history maze. Oh, brilliant. So this is an official time with Horrible History. So I think Terry Deary, the creator of, sort of designed it. So the idea is that the Horrible History's narrator, Rattus Rattus, mm. has messed around with time. So all these different eras all kind of next to each other. So you've got the Vicious Vikings, Frightful First World War, um, 
other stuff, Saxons maybe are in there or something like that. And you get given this little pamphlet, not a pamphlet, a little card book, and you have to get into each area and get it stamped. Mm. So there's a little stamp once you get to the middle. Yeah. And then you sort of hand it in at the end and you've effectively put history back together again. I the tell theory. you what, you, uh, people might be a bit funny about Madame Tussauds owning a castle, but they've they've really made something here, haven't <laughs> they? It's a great history day out, that. Mm. But there were quite a lot of kids doing it. Mm. Uh, but I had a little bit of embarrassment when I was sort of wanting to go and... The first time I got to one of the centres, so it's the centre for each yeah. era, I couldn't figure out how to get the stamp thing to work. And I wanted to just kind of go in surreptitiously, yeah. stamp it and get out. Yeah, yeah. And it was one, it was on a Viking longboat. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out how to do it. Oh, Did you get some help? I didn't get help, but I did then have to be like, oh, just looking around <laughs> on this boat now. I've obviously figured oh, out how to do this. I would, I, no, yeah, I would be all through that maze. I just need to wait for Rue to grow. Oh, actually not. I'll just do it anyway. But yeah, <laughs> uh, this is the kind of thing I cannot wait for. What's going on with these birds? So there's a peacock garden. Oh, yeah. So as I said, there's very extensive grounds. It's all very nice if you go for a picnic mm. or something like that. And uh, there's also these peacock grounds. So there are nice gardens. Um, we've got some peacock topiary. Oh, yeah. Uh, but also just some peacocks. Yeah, naturally. So that's within the grounds as well. Is this... So it's all sort of fenced off, so like kids couldn't run away? Well, it's a very big area, so they'd yeah. have to run quite far to, right, to get out. But yeah, it is all fenced off. It's off... It's. I mean, it's not very far off, off the road. It is off the road, but it's not like yeah. a long way off the road. It's, it's not very like the public easy to get can to. walk in, though. No, no, no. All right. But I didn't have <laughs> the, to... The general public weren't there, were they? For God's sake. But I didn't have to go through the main gate because I went in the accommodation gate. Yeah. So you've got your own little entrance. To the castle. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff going on around as well. So though just up here, actually, there was a guy demonstrating archery, maybe with longbows. I think you can just about see there's a target there. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he fires it over the moat. Um, I did a little bit of archery. Nice. And didn't do very well at all. Oh, shame. <laughs> I couldn't get my aim in. Yeah. And it was one of those, I kept veering off to the left. That's normal, I think, if you're right-handed. And then I was gradually working my way back. Yeah. And then I just went yeah. completely off. So I was hoping that I was going to get bullseye in the last one and be like, oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just getting my eye in. Didn't. Do you know what the trick is? Well, mm. hang on, what type of bow is it? I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a long bow, obviously. It was just a fairly basic. Did it have gears and things at the top? No, no gears. No gears. Because cr- uh, my brother is... Um, I'm sure I've said on the podcast, Paul, well into longbows. And the trick with it, apparently, it's like throwing a stone. They don't... I mean, he's incredibly accurate. Um, over 200 yards, they can mm. be really accurate. Um, but the trick, apparently, is not tame. They and the bows are too difficult to hold back to your ear for that long. They just mm. It's one motion, fluid motion. Yeah. And they describe it as throwing a stone. So it's mm. like you don't really aim when you throw a stone. You don't, like, it's not like darts. You just yeah. throw it, and that's... Apparently the same sort of... Yeah, just sort of instinctive. Oh. But yeah, so that's some of the stuff I did. There was still lots of stuff that I didn't get to do while I was there. I did manage to get up uh, onto the battlements. Nice. Which I had to do just kind of a little bit of rush thinking, you know, you've got to... I'm surprised, Graham, because I think if... if I mean, I've already described myself as a, like a, a dog with a head out the window on the way <laughs> up. And I imagine you'd be driving very sensibly. I'd be going, come on, come on, come on. And then as soon as you unlock the child locks, I'd be <laughs> straight out there like a dog that's seen a rabbit up onto the bathroom <laughs> shouting down saying, Graham, come on, come on. <laughs> well, that's the tricky thing going with a baby is that yeah. you're kind of that little bit limited. And obviously, baby wasn't quite so easy to get mm. up in his cot. Yeah. 
So he stayed down there, and I, I went up. Yeah, and then all the time you're up there, you're thinking, oh, should should be down there, really, but probably get down. Yeah, uh, but the other things I didn't do. Um, there's a kind of whole dungeon experience that they've got on. It's kind of fun, gruesomey. Yeah, they've got because um, they own the London Dungeon, don't they? Yeah. That whole series and yeah, York so Dungeon, and that kind of thing. Um, but there's also they've introduced an escape room. Oh no, I've this, never done an escape room. Me really. either. And this was this was one of the things that they were launching, wasn't it? Yeah, the but there room. was a like a minimum age for children of like twelve, l- less than it? four months. Was <laughs> yeah. it, any chance? <laughs> it was probably one of those. Actually, he was so young that it wouldn't have mattered because yeah. it wouldn't have had any impact on mm. him. But I don't imagine it would have been a lot of fun to yeah. do with a baby. Yeah, yeah indeed, I'm, for anyone else in the room. I mean, that's the thing I, as well. I've, I've tried to do an escape room at least three or four times mm. now. Um, with some friends in Birmingham and then similarly in London and each time we've had to cancel or it was cancelled a couple of times because of the snow yeah. um, and then this I thought right here we go <laughs> yeah. it it was fate all those times it was all leading up to the best type of escape room. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, there's also something that the only thing I remember from when I went to Warwick before is like there's the story of you get the Warwick the Kingmaker as a Madame Tussauds, yeah. I mean, all that sort of stuff. I didn't actually get to go in and see that. Oh, that's a whole exhibition on Warwick the Kingmaker. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't get to go and see that. Now, another thing I didn't get to see, because it hasn't started yet, I believe it's starting in August, is they've got a sort of summer spectacular on a chap called Guy of Warwick. Mm-hmm. And, that? well, indeed, it's this whole thing they're doing with, like, sort of, it's night time, there's, like, a CGI dragon and storytelling and all sorts of... I hope they pun that with a KN. <laughs> Night time. <laughs> hey. mm. um, but yes, indeed, the question, of course, is who is Guy of Warwick? Yeah. And why have Warwick Castle decided that he's the guy that they're going to... Yeah. Because Warwick, to me, is all about the Kingmaker. Yeah. So then they, they're stealing some of this... Uh, some of his airtime for this Guy chap. Yeah. So to find out who this guy chap is, we're going to have another interview with the head of history at Warwick Castle. Okay, we haven't done this interview yet. No, we haven't. Let's see how it goes. (laughs) Okay, so we are very lucky to be joined on the podcast by Melissa Panisha. Melissa, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Now, if I'm right, your job title is head of history at Warwick Castle. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, that sounds a very, very cool job. Uh, what does that actually involve? Um, yeah, it is really exciting and it's a really varied role. So we're really lucky at Warwick Castle to have such an immense history. So we cover um, over 1,100 years of history. Um, so it means I get to dip into loads of different periods, loads of different people um, and loads of different events that happen across the centuries. Um, so there's the kind of research side of things, but we're also very hands-on with our history at the castle. We're very immersive and engaging, and we really want our guests to come along and experience real history kind of right in the midst of it all. So we have a lot of things like attractions and show-based um, and exhibitions, so it's quite operational as well. I get to be out and about with the kind of birds of prey and nice. um, the trebuchet team and things mm-hmm. like that. So it's kind of a mix of the kind of more historical research side, but also the sort of more operational side of actually running a heritage site um, for our guests to enjoy. So you get to be doing uh, the historical research and reading about history, but also actually out in the field seeing it all in action as well 
Exactly, the best of both worlds. That does sound like the best of both worlds. <laughs> uh, so how, how do you get into being head of history at Warwick Castle? Um, well, so I had quite a kind of unusual route in where I started, as most people do, doing their history degree because you have a love for history and you want to continue learning. Um, and then in my summers, I was lucky enough to go to Buckingham Palace um, as a kind of tour guide um, and working on the summer opening they have there each year. Um, after that, I kind of decided, you know, history and heritage is really where I want to be. I want to be surrounded by history the whole time. I want yeah. to be in these sites. So I started kind of volunteering at different places in museums, um, sort of archaeological sites, and then did my master's in heritage management to really look and pin down those fundamentals on how we can really bring guests and how we can manage kind of conservation as well as kind of exhibition spaces mm. and things like that and then um two years ago i was lucky enough to get the role here at warwick castle oh lovely because yeah because we have some um sort of younger listeners and sort of students that are keen to get into history so is that sort of the that experience when you're sort of younger volunteering and working in places over the summer is that quite an important part ultimately getting into it definitely yeah i mean the heritage field is so competitive anyway because so many people love history and want to be at these amazing sites and really kind of feel the history at their f kind of fingertips. But yeah, you kind of you've got to start. You've got to get your foot in the door, doing those volunteers down at your local museum, hmm. um, kind of just getting your foot in the door with whatever aspect of the kind of operation interests you. You know, if you're interested in looking at the collection and how we conserve paintings, join like a conservation team. If you're interested in kind of welcoming guests and how they can enjoy the, their experience you know I'd recommend getting into kind of visitor experience or tour guiding roles and they're really invaluable in terms of getting into a site and just seeing how they work on a day-to-day -day and how we can get our guests excited. And um, for you then in terms of uh, history and your interests is there any sort of particular period in history or region or characters or things like that that really sort of fired your interest? Um, so at uni, I focused mainly on the Renaissance period. So I was lucky enough to go and study in Italy for a while, um, focusing on how we kind of move from the medieval period into the more sort of modern day and looking at that transition where kind of ideas and things were coming to the forefront of people's kind of cultures and societies. Um, but I also have a real passion for the medieval history. Um, I've been incredibly lucky since I've been at the castle to work um, on special things like Wars of the Roses, mm. um, which is an incredibly complex period, but full of really interesting characters like Edward IV, Richard III, Warwick the Kingmaker. Um, and we've been working really closely on that, especially with our jousting show, which we have on um, at the moment, and the kind of creation behind that. Yeah, because we, um, we've also, uh, in this podcast, spoken to uh, Kate Davison that did the scripting for the, uh, for the jousting. Um, oh, yeah. So how how does that whole thing come around then? How does it get decided that you're going to tell the Wars of the Roses via jousting? <laughs> well, it's probably not the most um, usual way of telling yeah. the Wars of the Roses story. Um, basically, we've had a jousting show at the castle for a number of years now, and we wanted to give it a bit more credibility and a bit more of a historical foundation. Um, and the Wars of the Roses is a kind of really focal piece of Warwick Castle's history, especially with our Earl of Warwick being Richard Neville, the Kingmaker. Yeah. Um, so we were kind of looking at a way of trying to merge the two. So even though jousting wasn't 
a kind of feature part of the Wars of the Roses. We're kind of using it to tell the story and look at how people won different battles, who switched sides and at which points. Um, but yeah, that was a real challenge in trying to get, you know, 30 to 40 years of history into about half an hour show. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we rose to the challenge and it's gone down really well. I think our guests really enjoy the fast paced nature of it. Um, it gives us a great opportunity to introduce new characters and also to kind of look at all these stunts and things that the team can do, which are just amazing and really demonstrate the kind of flow of the battles and the kind of politics at the time. Yeah, because I got to go uh, a few weeks ago and, yeah, I really enjoyed watching it. I think one of the nice things about it is that a lot of... Because there are other castles that do jousting. You said that Warwick does it before, but sometimes there's a bit of an element of so what about it because you're just seeing people go up and down on horses, but having that narrative to it and actually being part of history rather than just random people on horses definitely makes it a more engaging thing to watch yeah and i think it's really nice especially with the wars of the roses we've kind of managed to split the arena into kind of two sides so actually we get the audience kind of supporting either york or lancaster and it's a really good way of engaging people in the story and getting them to cheer on you know and support their side almost as people would have been doing across the whole country during this period so yeah that's a really cool way of doing it so which side would you have been uh, sat on then, York or Lancaster? Oh, you ask tough questions. I probably <laughs> would have been on York just because I'm a big fan of those characters on that side. Um, I think Richard III especially is an incredibly uh, mysterious and kind of almost misunderstood character in history. And he's got so much kind of speculation about him that I think, yeah, I would probably have been drawn to the mysterious very understandable yeah because on um on rex factor we review all the king we have reviewed all the kings and queens uh, of england and then we're just finishing off a series reviewing the kings and queens of scots so obviously with the wars of the roses like you mentioned you've got edward the fourth that people tend to forget about quite a lot but there's very interesting richard the third that's such a uh well still so popular and also unpopular yeah. this sort of divisive figure um so do you have uh, any sort of particular favourites, if we were to push you, like a king or queen from the medieval period that you're particularly interested in? Oh, I think it's a tricky one. I think Margaret of Anjou is a particularly interesting character because she's not necessarily a queen as we would think of a queen because she's obviously queen through marriage um, through Henry VI. But I think because of yeah. his role being sort of, especially later in life, being so much more depleted, I think it's really interesting to see her coming through as a character and kind of ruling in her own right, almost. Um, and I think there's a few queens before that that have managed to do similar things, but I think she's the first kind of medieval queen to be able to do that and really kind of lead and gain support in armies and kind of push through and support the country whilst the king has essentially been unable to. Um, so yeah, I think she's a really interesting character. And she was very, uh, very fierce on uh, on horse and armour in the jousting. <laughs> yes, indeed. She is, um, I think um, Shakespeare deemed her um, a, a she-wolf um, at one mm. point. So you can kind of imagine the kind of, I guess, fear from the medieval period at having a woman in such power because it was so unusual then. Um, but yeah, like you said, she was a, a fierce person on the battlefield. You wouldn't want to come across her as much as you wouldn't want to come across any kind of knight on horseback, if you like. Yeah, anyone other than Henry VI is probably going to be quite scary. Yeah. <laughs> but poor old Henry. Uh, so you've mentioned the jousting. Um, do you have a favourite part of Warwick Castle? Because there's so many 
uh, attractions and indeed just actually the castle itself and the grounds. Do you have a particular favourite part? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I love coming into work every morning and just seeing the courtyard open up in front of me. I think like nothing can beat that. I mean, it's not your sort of standard office. Um, so I think the kind of beauty and scale of Warwick Castle is something to behold because it's in such good condition, um, which is unusual because most castles, especially medieval castles, are in ruin. Um, yeah. But I think if I was going to pick my favourite part, I'd probably say the mound um, for a few reasons. Um, firstly, because from the top you get absolutely stunning views across Warwickshire's landscapes and you can see out into the courtyard and across all the towers and ramparts and really get a sense of how imposing and powerful this castle once was. Um, mm. But also because it's it's our oldest feature, so it dates back to when William the Conqueror ordered it to be built in 1068, so it's actually 950 years old this year. And to have that still standing and still be present and being able to kind of walk up its side and just imagine why and how this was built is just amazing. You mentioned, uh, I think, at the start about sort of one, like 1,100 years of history or yeah. something like that. So what's the what's the earlier So bit? the earlier bit, so basically in the year 914, um, Princess Ethelfleda, who is the daughter of King Alfred the Great, has basically been told she's in charge of the lands of Mercia, which are basically the Midlands today. Um, and she goes around and builds... Um, Burrs, which are kind of fortified towns, and she built one at Warwick. So that's our kind of initial founding as a stronghold, oh. um, but wasn't officially a castle because it was more like a walled town. Um, and then it wasn't yeah. until after the Norman Conquest started to come across and William realised he needed to kind of establish his power and his authority across the country that he kind of started building castles up and down the country. Um, and then that's in 1068 when Warwick Castle was eventually fully sort of put in place with the mound and then the bailey around it. So the traditional Mott and Bailey Castle was the original official castle that we had here at Warwick. Oh, that's brilliant. I hadn't realised that there was a, an Ethelflaed connection. So did I, because I didn't get to see everything when I came up. So is there anything about her at the castle? Or yeah, anything? we touch on her more so this year because we've looked at our really early founding story. So we've done an exhibition up our mound to celebrate our 950th anniversary. So looking at that early transition from Burr into Castle and why that happened and what was the reasons behind it being such a place here at Warwick. Um, she's also mentioned in a few other places. You'll be able to catch mentions of her on some of our tours that we do. Um, and she's also featured in the first room of our time tower. So the time tower takes you through a kind of interactive technological experience of our entire castle's history. Um, and she's kind of our leading lady in the first room that you'll see as you go through the Time Tower attraction. Oh, brilliant. Because that's the thing with it, because there's so much at Warwick. Like, I, I did see quite a bit when I went up there, but then um, partly just running out of time and then also having a baby in a plan that's <laughs> not so easy to get up towers and mounds and stuff. I obviously missed <laughs> yeah. quite a lot of stuff as yeah, well. spiral staircases, so the pram... It tends to be, we find pram kind of parking appears um, around site as people head up the towers and ramparts and into some of those more sort of spiral staircase bits. Yeah, they didn't didn't install a lot of lifts when William the Conqueror was uh, was planning out Warwick. No, Cross, yeah, he wasn't wasn't really too keen on those, I don't think. <laughs> so, speaking of things that can be done at Warwick, we've mentioned uh, the jousting, uh, this time tower, there's 
dungeons and all sorts of stuff going on but this summer i think in august starting off there's the dragon slayer yes uh and on guy of warwick which sounds very very cool um can you just briefly tell us what this new attraction is yeah so this is something we've never done before at warwick castle and that's to open up um in the evenings so we're going to be hosting a show um on select dates throughout august so mainly fridays and saturdays um but also around that bank holiday weekend towards the end of august um we're going to be opening the castle gates for those that have um come to join us for the show and basically it's called dragon slayer It's going to be a mix of jousting, fire, stunts, battles, and then we'll eventually finish in the central courtyard with an absolutely stunning um, projection light mapping show across all of our towers and ramparts, um, which will try to retell the legend of Guy of Warwick, who is so well known in the kind of Warwickshire area. And we think it's about time he kind of got got his time in the limelight as much as Robin Hood or Arthur and the Knights have had in kind of film and TV and things. So we're kind of giving him his own show to try and really boost his profile, especially in the local area. So I imagine probably a lot of people listening won't actually have heard of Guy of Warwick before. So who who was he? So basically Guy of Warwick was um, the son of one of the Earl's stewards, so one of the Earl of Warwick stewards. Um, he's a legendary character that basically wanted to win the love of the Earl's daughter called Felice. Um, but because there was such a kind of social status difference between the two of them, he had to try and prove that he was worthy of her hand in marriage. So he kind of travels all across Europe, taking on various kind of adventures and challenges um, to try and persuade her basically that she should marry him so I think he starts off by going over to Normandy where he saves this um, wrongly imprisoned maid called Dorinda um, fights off the people that have imprisoned her and sets her free then he goes off um, into Germany and enters this jousting competition where he just completely annihilates all the competition nobody can even come close Um, Then he heads kind of back up north and ends up fighting um, the Dun Cow, which is basically, um, it's quite a terrifying concept. It's kind of a three and a half meter by five and a half meter large cow that's terrorizing the lands around Warwickshire. Um, (laughs) And basically he is given the challenge to try and defeat this massive cow with red fiery eyes. Um, to save the local people from its kind of rampages around. Um, And then, obviously, as it's in the name of the show, he goes on to fight not one, but two dragons. Um, The first dragon he takes on is fighting a lion, and he can see that the lion is losing. So he kind of pledges to himself that he's going to help the animal that's losing, so then takes on this dragon and tries to kind of fight him in the place which is going to hurt most so he finds a place just under its wing which is its weakest point and sort of throws this arrow and spear into it stabbing it in with a sword and making sure that he becomes the official dragon slayer that we have chosen to <laughs> represent in our show that sound that's I mean, that's quite, that's quite an awesome lot of stories there two dragons a giant cow i know is- I mean, uh, mythical yeah. beasts and everything aside, these are all kind of based on allegories of 
when we were fighting the Danes. And so Dunkow comes from Dana Gower, which means Danish lands or Danish people. So they're kind of allegorical for armies that were coming over and attacking England during the 10th century. Um, so it's a very clever story, but yeah, it really does make for a great spectacle when we can have things like a giant cow and dragons and giants and things all coming in um, in such a spectacle. And jousting, which is obviously already well set for... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cover. Everyone loves the jousting, so it's, a, it's definitely an element which we wanted to keep and kind of push to another level as well, because obviously it's going to be darker, it's going to be in the night, so it's going to be just a little bit more exciting and that little bit more dark and mysterious. So the uh, the giant cow and the dragons are going to be part of this. Indeed they are. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that, that is a thing that has to be Exactly. Said. I mean, yeah, we're very excited about it. We think it's going to be just spectacular to see. I think bringing it all together in the atmosphere that's going to be on site is just going to be incredible. So is that why, because you sort of see quite a few, because um, when I, cause I was at uni at Durham and there are quite a few, there's sort of legends around dunk cows and pubs named after dunk cows. Is it, does it sort of come from that or was there generally legends around these giant cows walking the land? <laughs> yeah, um, it's actually really common now um, as a pub name. I think actually probably the majority of your listeners are going to be going, oh, wait, we have a pub called Warwick or the Dun <laughs> Cow or something along those lines. Um, yeah, it seems to have been kind of like a popular thing to name your pub after for some reason. Um, but yeah, no, these things do come from the legend and yeah have their basis in it which is really exciting i think actually the story of guy of warwick doesn't just sit in warwickshire it has traveled all across europe so i think if you go to germany there's a museum where there is a statue of guy of warwick so wow. yeah it's not just a local legend but it's probably most well known here because of things like guy's cliff um being right on our doorstep mm. so but yeah it seems to have spread around even if that is through pubs <laughs> <laughs> well it's a, it's a good way exactly <laughs> So given that uh, he has fought a giant cow and two dragons and is a jousting champion, how come, like you mentioned Robin Hood and things like that, how come that the Guy of Warwick legend isn't more well-known today? Um, it's difficult to say. I think Robin Hood and Arthur, for example, have been in fiction for centuries, as has Guy of Warwick, to be fair. I mean, Guy of Warwick's legend first came around in about the 13th century, so it's not like he wasn't there at the same time, but I think they played so much more into these other legends, giving them kind of that cult following with kind of books and then sort of film and TV when they came out, they really picked up on those. Um, so yeah, it's a shame that Guy of Warwick just missed out because he is, like we think, on par with those kind of stories. Um, and just as exciting, if not more exciting. Well, Robin Robin Hood never fights a giant, yeah. now, as far as I can so remember. So who knows? Yeah, he just he must have just missed the mark. So yeah, now it's his time to shine. Um, but yeah, hopefully through this show, we'll be able to put him on par with those. And you never know, he might end up revolutionising Warwickshire's history. Well, and, you know, Game of Thrones is coming up to its final series. There's a gap in the market for uh, dragon-slaying fantasies. Maybe Guy can uh, step into the step into the gap. Definitely. I mean, what, it's, what, another year for the final, final yeah. season of Game of Thrones? So, yeah, if, you're, if you are seriously missing out on your dragons and mythical beasts and fighting and battles, yeah, Dragon Slayer is the place to be this summer. So we will tide you over until the final episode of Game <laughs> of Thrones come through. 
And then if the HBO executives need any inspiration for a, a new series. Exactly. And why not bring a giant cow exactly. in? I don't want to watch that. <laughs> so how did, um, how did you come to find Guy's Legend or how did you come to decide to base something on him for this big summer spectacular because like i think you said obviously a lot of people might associate the earl of warwick most with warwick castle because of the name so why guy how did he become the star this year? i think this year we were looking for something that we hadn't really explored in great detail before so we cover kind of most of our history from sort of the medieval period um, all the way up to the Victorian period. We have quite a variety of attractions that will hit all those different periods. And we wanted something that had maybe slipped under the radar a little bit. Um, So we got in touch with a few kind of local historians and sort of asked the questions, you know, what stories around Warwickshire would be relevant for us to tell and really kind of build that community spirit sort of having the castle there, but also the surrounding kind of towns and things. Um, And Guy of Warwick's story kind of got mentioned in places and we were like, oh, Guy's Cliff is just down the road, which is where our um, jousting company come from. Um, And it all just kind of started to fit in and make sense. So we started to research a lot of his stories and legends, um, going back to kind of the chapbooks and folklore that was around from the 13th century Um, We've even got Guy of Warwick's relics um, on display at the castle in our state rooms. (laughs) Um, So we were like, right, this is the chance. This is our chance to really tell his story in an exciting way. And I was going to ask this um, earlier when you were talking about uh, your role and the stuff that you do. Is it normal for the castles or historical attractions to have such a kind of proactive research element in the tourism side in terms of what you're showing to the public and finding new things and new stories to tell is that how it usually works or is Warwick particularly always looking for that something different something new to talk about? I think we're incredibly lucky at the castle that we have got the space and the kind of teams that can really creatively develop these new ideas I think we're also incredibly blessed in that we're quite well funded. Merlin look after us incredibly well, both through restoration, but also the ability for us and the opportunity for us to come up with new attractions, new exhibitions, new shows, and display our history in new and exciting ways. And yeah, I think it's unusual because most heritage sites really struggle to kind of, A, find the space to create such things, but also in terms of managing a heritage site, they're incredibly costly in terms of the conservation and the restoration side. So to have money left over in terms of actually being able to produce something new um, for our guests, we're incredibly lucky. And we have an amazing creative team um, across the business that can help kind of research the ideas behind these new attractions, but also get the design elements in, get the kind of nitty-gritty of all the interactive elements and the technologies that we're going to use um so yeah it's a really exciting project that we've been able to work on um and i know lots of us have really spent a lot of time on this um so it's nice to see it all coming together and doing something on such a big scale because this is the biggest scale sort of since the jousting um the wars of the roses jousting that we did um last summer this is the biggest scale thing that we've done um i think probably ever well, it, sound, it sounds huge. <laughs> yeah, I t- yeah, we're going to be, be moving uh, a couple of thousand people from the arena up into the courtyard, which I think is going to be a challenge on its own. Um, but yeah, we'll hopefully give a really, really good atmosphere on site. And 
hopefully everyone will absolutely love their time here yeah well it sounds absolutely amazing and it's definitely um yeah definitely a reason for us to go back and uh have another trip to warwick and actually see that in action because it sounds uh definitely spectacular yeah. and and also i've missed uh, all this other stuff like ethelfled and the mound and all these bits and bobs that i'll have to go leave the baby somewhere else and then uh <laughs> Yeah, I think Gets every time people come, they always find something new or something different that they didn't see the time before. And they're always like, oh, I just didn't clearly have the time to do it. So, yeah, it really is a full day out, if not a full two days out. We get a lot of people staying over in our night's village because they just find at the end of that first day, they've barely scratched the surface of everything that we've got on offer. So, yeah, it's really amazing that we can add this bit in the evening for people that might be coming overnight. Well, um, thank you so much for speaking to us. That was really, uh, really, really interesting. Yeah, thank you for having me. And yeah, and I think um, it's I think particularly because I think probably when people go to castles and historic houses and things like that, it's probably quite easy to kind of take it for granted. Actually, the things you see on display, you sort of somehow imagine things to be quite static, or you don't imagine that what has actually gone behind finding all this information. So it's really interesting to know actually how this all happens and the work and the research and the planning and the delivery that goes into it. I think it's uh, yeah, very enlightening. Yeah. Uh, so, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. So, that was uh, the interview with Melissa. Well, I want her job. And uh, we should probably say that listeners may have noticed that you didn't say a lot in that interview. I was making the muffins. <laughs> yeah. Cooking the crumpets. <laughs> so, you were going to be there, but then you realised that they had a bit of a... Where was I? I think you'd put Thursday in your diary instead of Tuesday or something, so you were, you went off to London to watch uh, a happier the football. The football? Yeah. Uh, I'd put, yeah, it was on Thursday, it was, wasn't it? Oh, this is, this is, <laughs> there we go, this is what went wrong. Listeners may not find it difficult to imagine <laughs> a scenario in which... <laughs> Uh, <coughs> still, yeah. But yeah, what, uh, head of history at uh, Warwick Castle or any. Yeah, castle. I Sounds was an awesome job. If I was there, do you know what I'd ask? Mm. Where did she study heritage management? Do we know? Because mm. that's I, I did didn't that. ask her that. I didn't ask her. And uh, um, yeah, it seems like a, as you say in your in your interview, the a well trod path mm. doing the volunteering and then getting a role within a museum and then saying actually I worked in a museum and have this degree and like, well you could probably do this job you really want because we had that with someone we met when we went to the Cutty Sark as well didn't we mm. the girl showing us around she'd had to go into something completely different yeah and then she got into heritage via the well I can't remember if it was Va- marketing marketing or, wasn't yeah. it yeah via being good at marketing she tried marketing for the Cutty Sark yeah. and then could take a sort of history role mm. yeah brilliant though I loved I, oh, I loved your bit at the start it was I think she said uh, she was describing what she does day to day uh, and then she said, so I'm uh, uh, do some hawking and then one day I'll be working with the trebuchet team and I heard you just in the background going, nice. <laughs> 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 we could, it was completely impulsive. An audio mm. doff of the cap there. <laughs> exactly. I could hear the nod, yeah. Because it's probably easier with Skype interviews to just let the other person talk because otherwise you end up going yeah. over the top of each other. But yeah, you've got to... You, sometimes it, when they say they're working with the trebuchet, that is... Yeah, that is genuinely an excellent job. And I know what she means about, well, imagine that, going in the morning, uh, going through the gates of Warwick Castle, yeah. like you own the place, yeah. like Earl Warwick himself, seeing it empty, having the gates swing open. Mm-hmm. Oh, magic, magic. And the other cool thing she was talking about was uh, Guy of Warwick and the mm. summer thing, which is the only bit of Warwick, well, as I said, actually, there are quite a few bits I missed, but the only bit that wasn't available 
was there. Oh yeah, the um, eating the flying cow. Not eating the flying cow. He killed a, a genu- regular cow. Not a regular cow. A big cow. A giant cow. A giant cow that couldn't fly, and he didn't eat it. <laughs> well, yes, he but also a couple done. of giant, uh, a couple of dragons. Flying dragons. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. they definitely were flying. What I got a little lost there. What? So what? he was trying to win the uh, the hand of uh, a beautiful maiden. Yeah, but she's a bit higher up the pecking order than yeah. him. So to prove his worth. He had to go off on an adventure. Yeah. So he goes off into the world and encounters dragons and ne'er-do-wells mm. and fights them all. Quite and then right. he comes back and then he's in Northumbria and there's a giant cow terrorising the local neighbourhood. So obviously... Yeah, got to polish that off. Puts that onto the sword as well, kills another dragon. Now, I know that these things don't exist. Is it a true story? I think... We're going to say no okay. on that one. Okay, it's a no from Rex Factor. But it's part of the mythology, like we mentioned mm. with Arthur and Robin Hood. Mm. And it, at one point, apparently was actually about as famous as those stories, yeah, but I it just understand. gets forgotten along the way. But you did ask the question, and obviously there's no clear answer, but yeah. <laughs> why would you choose that? Why did that yeah. go away? Mad. Everyone, dragons have never been out of vogue. Everyone and always loves dragons. And a giant cow. No one's got a well, giant cow. I mean, yeah, that's unique. Hmm. Uh, and how does it work? They're told the story's told on battlements. A thousand people going from the. So the thousand people, I think, is the people who are attending to watch it. So yeah. you see some more jousting. Yeah. Nighttime jousting, and then they walk you through. I think to somewhere on the city walls, uh, the city walls, the castle walls, and then there's like projections that they do onto the oh, walls because right. it's at night, so it's all lit up. Mm. A bit like if you've ever seen some of the. It's like Lumiere or something yeah. like Durham Cathedral's done it and others started doing it where they light up mm. the building. I think they're doing that with the castle. So they've got the dragons and the nice. the cow yeah. <laughs> all lit up <laughs> and being yeah. uh, and being fought by Mr. Guy. You know, for a brief moment I thought, well if this is I hadn't I was um I was listening to it on the drive here mm. and there was traffic issues. Mm. I won't go into them, but they're fascinating. <laughs> uh and I thought, well if this if this is based on truth and it's been, uh, it's been just sort of <laughs> slightly know, exaggerated. Exaggerated. What what could this giant cow have been? And I only thought it must have been like an elephant that had escaped a menagerie of the royal court <laughs> or something, and he had to take it down. But then, when they started talking about dragons, thought no, this is probably made up. I'll ask Graham. But it sounds a bit far fetched to me. I'm gonna. <laughs> I smell a rat here. <laughs> yeah. But still, definitely want to go to that. I mean, yeah. the amount of things that Warwick Castle have on now, yeah. that compared to when I last went, mm. which was still great, um, was amazing. Because what, what the weekend out you described, you mentioned this guy of Warwick business, mm. but I didn't realise it would involve all of that. Yeah, so because uh, that is um, August that that started. Mm. Um, really cool. So yeah, so we didn't get to see it. But yeah, there's so much. I feel like when we were kids. It was enough that they just basically opened the castle and yeah. put a few signs up. Yeah, but ah, uh, well, they also had the uh, the mannequins at those days. Oh, well, mannequins! Yeah, <laughs> in the uh, actual rooms, you know, mm. which was something that other castles when they opened up didn't tend to have. But now it's you know full on Madame Tussauds job. They've got a lot, as they say, they've got all the weight of Merlin entertainments yeah. behind them. Really, really good stuff. Uh, but yeah, it was really fun. But I think what we um, would like to be able to do is to do more of these and we've got a few little things yeah, yeah. under the uh, under under the radar it's not really under, under the radar the, under the blanket the carpet 
there are other things that we're looking at yeah um, but yeah if we would like to do more either interviews but also maybe getting out to yeah. other castles and other historical sites and doing some out and about out and about podcasting so hopefully that'll be something we get to do a bit more and hopefully people have found it interesting yeah and if you like the idea of Rex Factor on tour, Rex Factor live, Rex Factor, just let us know. Get mm. in touch. And uh, if you are uh, the head of history or the king of a castle, then uh, <laughs> you'd like us to talk about it. <laughs> or even the king of a nation. Maybe Queen Elizabeth, if you're listening and you'd like us to ha- give a little, you know, explanation about your one of your gaffes, yeah. let us know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, let us know what you think about all of this. Uh, get in touch with us on Twitter at RexFactorPod. Like us on Facebook and join in the discussions there. Email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com and uh, go to RexFactor.wordpress.com for our blog. And I will do a blog on all of this and do mm. some pictures. Yeah, because we've got some the, of um, it looks like. Because there's pictures you went through on this with me. Yeah. They'd be good to, yeah, so to see. Put some photos up. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review on iTunes and subscribe. Uh, you can do a one-off donation via PayPal, or you can join the Privy Council. Uh, click Be My Patron and make a monthly donation to the podcast. Um, there's a variety of rewards on offer. All patrons get access to the bonus Privy Chamber mm-hmm. uh, episodes, which we do after each of our main podcasts at five dollars a month you get free access to all our special episodes ten dollars a month you get a, a, a privy councillor mug and fifteen dollars a month a blog on the subject of your choice on the privy chamber hmm. you might be interested to know graham i have taken my book reviews up a notch have you yeah <laughs> i'm afraid the sound engineer was away so he hasn't been able to give me any help on my uh what are they called intros uh, jingle jingles hmm. um but, now I want you to sit down here. I am. I've written notes. Good Lord. I know. Uh, mostly because there was something that I really wanted to say about the uh, Shard Lake <laughs> series that I didn't say. So I Less surprising that we're still on Shard Lake. <laughs> <laughs> but I found a new series. Okay. It's re- oh, I, I, I don't want to give any more away, Graham. Uh. You've got to join the preview chamber. It, it's... It's a wonderful room. So we have more stuff that we didn't fit into our normal episodes, and as you just heard, Ali's uh, book reviews. Mm-hmm. And anyway, we've got some new privy councillors to welcome. Oh. Please welcome, uh, this is a username, I'm not sure how to pronounce this one properly, Waggyog. Waggyog. Is it one of our <laughs> Scottish friends from history? Lynn Baines. Easier. Bryce Acri. Jay Penvan. Uh, Sargon or Sagan 88824 Chloe Edward Stowe Elona Gionkina and Jessica Springings Welcome one and all I can't wait to see you in the Privy Chamber Thank mm-hmm. you very much for your support It is genuinely appreciated and also actually really the only way we can keep going now because we've got to a point where we need to pay for websites and stuff We had an email from uh, Julie Reynolds Mm-hmm. Not a Warwick Castle person, but a Rex Factor listener. Um, she says, um, no doubt you've already planned what you're going to do for season three. We have indeed. Mm-hmm. But I thought I would throw out an idea. Castle mania. Well, uh, yeah. Julie, Re- let's ta- chat. Reviewing the castles of the British Isles. Yes. And um, she suggested some factors for us. Fine. Battle mentiness. Very good. The nature and extent of defences, style, level of military engineering in general. What's its oh, curb appeal? Gosh. This is really strong so far, Graham. Projectile activity. What kind of weapons did its defenders use? How did it stand up to artillery? 
could be some crossover into battlementness mm. there, but okay, you know, there's got some legs. Scandal. Lovely. Who's buried in the dungeon? Mm-hmm. Any ghosts? Yep. Longevity. Brilliant, of course. How long was it in service? Yeah, you'd lose points for the sl- any slighting in the Civil War. Mm. Uh, Dover would win that. Yeah. Mm. Coronation Street, not the program. <laughs> oh, wow. Was it ever visited by a reigning sovereign? Or, I mean, uh, Carnarfon mm. had Princes of Wales crowned there, Coronation Street winner. Yeah. Coronation Street. My, <laughs> she's really thought about this. <laughs> Thanks again for a great podcast. I thought this might be an amusing way to create shorter one-off episodes and perhaps convince Ali to do his own research for a change. Brackets, no shade. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that idea has been bubbling away at the back of our minds for ages. And 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 Gene- Genevieve, Julie, Julie has just plucked that out there. And I'm. I mean, I'm up for it. I'm well up for it. Julie, you can come along with us anytime. <laughs> that's brilliant. Those factors are fantastic. Oh yeah. Well, yes, yes is the answer to that question. <laughs> Next episode we will be doing will be a special episode on the death of uh, Amy Robsart. Yes, remind me. Uh, we haven't done it yet. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. You know nothing about her. I know her. nothing about her. Good. <laughs> I thought it was like one of those situations where um, I had to know about... Uh... No, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, anyway, see you next time. Cheerio.